Republican governors make Democrats own their own positions on illegal immigration. The railroad unions hold America's economy hostage in the middle of an inflationary spiral. And Nancy Pelosi cracks wise about abortion. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash Ben. You know, you're spending too much money these days on everything because Joe Biden is a terrible president. But one of the things you are definitely spending too much money on is one of the things you've been spending too much money on for literally years. That would be your cell phone coverage. Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, they charge you too much money. Now, the simple fact is, that we are in a recession. You can't afford to be spending too much money on stuff like your cell phone coverage, which is why you should talk to my friends over at Pure Talk. Pure Talk gives you a myriad of choices so you can choose the data plan that's right for you, whether that's two gigs per month or an unlimited plan with a mobile hotspot. By switching over to Pure Talk, the average family of four is saving over 75 bucks every month. Customers are realizing they simply don't need as much data as they thought. Plus, Pure Talk makes it easy to find the right plan for you and your family. They're a veteran-owned company with a customer service team based right here in the United States. They make the switch from your current provider incredibly easy. It's not going to take you more than 10 minutes. It is well worth the savings. Join the hundreds of thousands who are making the switch to Pure Talk today. Plus, this month, when you switch over to Pure Talk, you get one month for free. I've been endorsing Pure Talk for a couple of years. They have never made an offer this big. Just head on over to puretalk.com, choose your plan, enter code Shapiro for this special offer. That's puretalk.com, enter code Shapiro, get one month for free. Well, here is the thing about altruism. If you are truly altruistic, this means that you dip into your own pocket to give people things, right? True altruism is when you are charitable with your own resources. It's it's a wonderful thing, right? Being altruistic about your own resources, recognizing that you owe something to your community because you're a member of that community, you're a member of that body politic. That's a good attitude to have. You know, it's a terrible attitude to have is when altruism actually amounts to I'm going to put my hand in your pocket and I'm going to give your money away and then I'm going to pat myself on the back for how altruistic I am. And unfortunately, an extraordinary amount of democratic policy, economic, environmental, foreign, enormous amounts of this of this policy are predicated on the idea that you are most altruistic when you are putting your hand in somebody else's pocket and then giving away their money, when you are taking somebody else's life and affecting their life in a way that makes you feel good. But it doesn't actually have any effect on you, but it makes you feel incredibly good because you are making Bob pay the bill. And let's face it, Bob deserves to pay the bill. You don't deserve to pay the bill. You're the good person. You're making Bob pay the bill. But so long as you are making Bob pay the bill, you owe no consequences. You don't have to actually be altruistic. You don't actually have to do anything. It's all up to you to make sure that somebody else does this thing. So much of left-wing policy is predicated on this very idea that the rules that you think should broadly apply to humanity and the consequences of which are not owned by you. Those rules are good so long as you promulgate them. And then the minute you are clocked in the face by reality, the rules become really, really bad. This is true on tax policy. Democrats in blue states across the country will raise state taxes to extraordinary levels. And then they'll go to the federal government and they'll ask for state and local tax deductions. The idea being that you should be able to deduct your high taxes in the state of California, for example, against your federal income tax. Because after all, why the other states should pay for the fact that you've decided to raise taxes in your state when it comes to homelessness. Homelessness is a human right until precisely the moment the 10 cities arrive in Malibu. Environmental policy. Environmentalism is all wonderful and good, especially for people who live in areas where you don't. Meanwhile, you get to basically fly around in a private jet. Right? Environmentalism is a, is a luxury of the wealthy. And generally, the people who are most interested in environmentalism also have the largest carbon footprint because they also happen to be the most wealthy. And wealth goes along, in most cases, with a higher carbon footprint than people who are very, very poor. 
So this has now reared its head again with the issue of illegal immigration. The left for my entire lifetime has basically been soft on illegal immigration. They've suggested that illegal immigration, the free movement of people across America's southern border, and the ability of those people to then rely on the American welfare state, particularly on the state and local level, the ability of, of these folks to move across borders, to take jobs, to not pay their full share of taxes, to get free public education for their kids, to take advantage of the healthcare system. Right? All of these things are a good. And to oppose this is to be cruel and nasty. Now, here's the thing. Most of the people who are pressing this sort of policy, particularly the elite levels of the Democratic Party, never actually have to deal with the consequences. They feel as though they are creating a new voter base. People are coming in and they are more dependent on government. They tend to be poorer than the average in the United States. They tend to be less educated on the average in the United States. And thus, they are more dependent on government largesse in the United States. And so the idea was bring this entire new group of people in, and these people are more likely to vote Democrat. This is how the demographics of California, for example, shifted from California being a red to purple state and now to a pure blue, deep blue, sea blue state. Okay, but here is the magic. In order to foment illegal immigration, what you really have to do is you have to suggest that border towns in Texas have to deal with it. And certainly not Barack Obama up in Martha's Vineyard, certainly not Kamala Harris over at the Naval Observatory in Maryland. Those people don't have to deal with it. Certainly not Eric Adams in New York City. The, the people, Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, those people don't have to deal with it because after all, the true altruism is making sure that the people down on the border in Texas who are saying, you know what, this is really screwing up our city. Those people are the bad guys. Greg Abbott is the bad one. Doug Ducey in Arizona, he's the bad one. The people along the border who say, you know, this is creating real societal and cultural problems and economic problems and crime problems. Those people are just, they're intolerant. They're bigots. They're bad. Because we're altruists, right? They're bad. We are the altruists. And so there is something extraordinarily ironic about the hue and cry that is now coming from top-level Democrats over the move by border state Republicans, Ron DeSantis in Florida, which technically is not a border state, but there's a lot of illegal immigration into Florida, or Greg Abbott in Texas, who have now been saying to Democratic governors and Democratic mayors, you know, guys, if you love illegal immigration so much, if you want to say that you are a sanctuary city without actually having to deal with the predominant force of illegal immigration, and guess what? You asked for it, you got it. And so Greg Abbott and Governor DeSantis, they've now been sending illegal immigrants to deep blue areas where they support sanctuary cities and open illegal immigration, and been saying, now we'll see how much you like it. We'll see how altruistic you are when your hand is in your own pocket and not ours. We'll see how, we'll, we'll see how kind and charitable you are with your own resources and, and how much you like illegal immigration when it actually affects you. We'll see how much you enjoy defund the police when the criminals are sitting right side your house. Right? We'll see how much you enjoy homelessness when, again, there are people who are camped out in your front yard. We'll see how much you enjoy high tax rates when there is no state and local tax deduction. Making people own the consequences of their own political decision-making is a net positive. This is also true, by the way, intergenerationally. Democratic economic policy is predicated on the idea that you can steal from future generations and then you can use the money here. And this is not just true in the United States. This is true all over the world. The decline of Western economics is largely based on the fact that we have abandoned the sort of Burkean notion that you owe a debt to future generations. Not the other way around, right? They owe a debt to you in the sense that they are supposed to inherit a stable and, and decent system. but they are not supposed to pay your bills. It, it is a, a fundamental fact of morality that a parent is supposed to provide for the child and that typically speaking, only in old age are children supposed to provide for their parents. But the idea is that not, not that you burden your unborn grandchildren with debts they are never going to be able to pay. And yet we have broken that intergenerational barrier. 
We've, des we've destroyed that morality. And so now we have basically impoverished our children and grandchildren on the back of extraordinary levels of public and, yes, private debt here in the West. And that is why you're seeing low rates of economic growth across the West. And this has been true for at least a couple of decades. So making people own the consequences of their decisions in the here and now is a very good way of forcing better policy. So I'm very much in favor of Ron DeSantis, for example, sending a couple of charter planes of illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. And what's hysterical about this, so there's video that emerged yesterday of this happening. Fox News had the video. Apparently, Governor DeSantis sent a couple of charter planes filled with illegal immigrants to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, right? It's the playground of the rich and famous Barack Obama. Should have plenty of place, I mean, he should have lots of room on his estate. He's got a 29.3 acre estate on Martha's Vineyard, which must have cost uh, a fairly large fortune. Well, Martha's Vineyard is a place where the rich play and you don't really get to go there. I mean, so on that, on that score, I guess some of these illegal immigrants are very lucky. I mean, they got a free flight to Martha's Vineyard. It, there's another area of American life where you, if you are not extraordinarily rich, you're excluded. And that's in some investment areas. So for example, you want to invest in a hedge fund, you really can't unless you have a certain income, like by law. There's one area of the investment economy you can access, even if you are not extraordinarily wealthy. And this is an area of the investment economy that actually the rich tend to play in and make a lot of money in. And that, of course, is high-end art. Masterworks allows you to invest in the same kind of art that very, very wealthy people invest in. You do it fractionally. Masterworks offers investments in the top 1% of contemporary art, an asset that appreciated by an incredible 33.2% the last time inflation was this high. They make it so easy to invest that anyone, regardless of your artistic background or knowledge, can still hedge against inflation and diversify to reduce risk. Masterworks has over 500,000 users signed up. They're not going to stop until they hit a billion. Here's the best part. I've scored an exclusive offer for my audience only. When you sign up at masterworks.com slash Ben, you can skip the waitlist and start investing immediately. That's masterworks.com slash Ben to skip that waitlist before deciding to invest. Carefully review important disclosures at masterworks.com slash CD. According to the governor's communications director, Taryn Fenske, she said, yes, Florida can confirm the two planes with illegal immigrants that arrived in Martha's Vineyard today were part of the state's relocation program to transport illegal immigrants to sanctuary destinations. States like Massachusetts, New York, and California will better facilitate the care of these individuals who they have invited into our country by incentivizing illegal immigration through their designation as sanctuary states and support for the Biden administration's open border policies. As you may know, in this past legislative session, the Florida legislature appropriated $12 million to implement a program to facilitate the transport of illegal immigrants from this state consistent with federal law. The office of Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker responded to the after-hours email saying the Baker-Polito administration is in touch with local officials regarding the arrival of migrants in Martha's Vineyard. At this time, short-term shelter services are being provided by local offices. The administration will continue to support these efforts. Here's a little bit of the video of the charter planes arriving in Martha's Vineyard. But DeSantis has sent migrants on a plane to Martha's Vineyard. Now, this is where the Obamas have a home, Oprah, Beyonce, even James Taylor who's going to be seeing fire, rain, and migrants. Uh, not to mention Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, everybody, basically, that you know on the left has a home there. Do you think they're going to be embracing their new neighbors? <laughs> you know, these are all sanctuary cities until they're in their sanctuary. Right. I, I doubt they'll embrace them. Don't know that I've ever been to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, I've been to places where we've seen these migrants come across. This is not good for America. Uh, every town's a border town, and we need to make sure we get our southern border secured exactly like we did for four years, Jesse. Meanwhile, the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, is doing something similar with regard to Kamala Harris. According to Fox 5 DC, Fox News is reporting 
that two buses of migrants arrived on Thursday morning outside Kamala Harris's residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. Approximately 100 migrants, mainly from Venezuela, arrived just before 7 a.m. from Del Rio, Texas, and were offloaded near the Naval Observatory's main guard gate. The migrants were picked up in Eagle Pass, Texas, and were sent by Governor Greg Abbott. Here's a little bit of Fox News' report. Buses filled with migrants from our southern border have just arrived outside Vice President Kamala Harris's residence at the Naval Observatory in Washington, D.C. Griff Jenkins is live on the scene to tell us more. Uh, Griff, uh, is that Massachusetts Avenue that I'm looking at right there? Yeah. Good morning, Steve, Ainsley, and Brian. This bus just arrived moments ago. I talked to some of the folks. Apparently, this bus has come from Del Rio, Texas. Okay, so the typical response in the media is, this is horrible. How could they do this? So just to get this straight, when a bus filled with migrants arrives in Del Rio, Texas, that's a net good for the United States. That's a, that's a good thing because forcing Del Rio, Texas to take all those people in is great. I remember a few years ago when there was a migration crisis under President Obama, there's a city in California called Murrieta and there are a bunch of residents there who are saying, don't take these buses here. Like we live here. We don't have the resource to take care of these people. They're just going to be sitting around in the bus station and we don't know who they are. We don't know their backgrounds. We don't know how to feed them. And the people of Murrieta were treated as though they were terrorists. Like how, how dare these people not just, I mean, don't we have a statue? And on that statue, it says that we should take in our tired, our weary, our huddled masses yearning to be free. Right? Don't, don't we have, I mean, the Statue of Liberty, the Statue of, okay. now, this has been a typical Democratic talking point for a very long time, but it turns out that the Statue of Liberty is in New York. Okay, fine. So if we send the migrants to New York, then presumably everything should be hunky-dory, right? If we send the illegal immigration wave that has been fostered by this administration, we're talking in excess of 1.3 million illegal immigrants have entered the country since Joe Biden took office. And that is not counting the gotaways, which could be up to another million. And when you have that many people who are arriving and they are swamping border towns, those towns don't have the resources for them. So why not send them? I mean, income inequality, guys. Equity. Why not send them to the richest enclaves in America, places like Martha's Vineyard? Why not send them to Malibu? Why not have them camp out outside Barbara Streisand's house? After all, if you're in favor of these policies, you should own the policies, should you not? You should be the person who's willing to pay for those policies, should you not? You shouldn't be foisting them on the people who are unfortunate enough to live at the border that you have decided to leave wide open in complete defiance of basic governmental duty. And yet the, the reaction from the left has been this, this extraordinary wailing and gnashing of teeth. This is terrible to human rights violation. So let me just get this straight. It is a pleasure cruise when Barack Obama and Joe Biden and all the rest of the glitterati on the left go to Martha's Vineyard. That's what they do for vacation. And it's like the nicest place in America. But if, if an illegal immigrant arrives there on a bus, then it's like Auschwitz. Basically, you send a bus filled with people to Martha's Vineyard, and my God, it's a human rights violation. It's not a human rights violation, by the way, to leave the border open and incentivize hundreds of thousands of people, including small children, to cross some of the most dangerous areas on planet Earth. There have been something like over a thousand Migrants who have been found dead along the American border because people are falling, people are sick, people are starving, people are dehydrated. That apparently is not about, you have serious migration crisis human rights violations by coyotes who are bringing people in in hot trucks and then leaving them to die in the back of these trucks. That's not a problem. But you know, it's a real problem is if you put people on air-conditioned airplanes from Florida to Martha's Vineyard, that's a serious problem. Now, I've noticed that um, maybe it's only a serious problem because now you have to see it. And now, now you have to own the consequences. That's the really serious problem. It turns out, as always, that democratic policy, blue state policy, blue city policy, it's all fun and games until they actually have to pay for it. 
But here's the thing. You as a business, you've been paying for their bond policy for at least a couple of years. So whether you're talking about COVID lockdowns or Biden inflation, you, the business owner, you've been paying the bill for that. Well, what if you overpaid your taxes and you can get some of that money back? Wouldn't you like to do that? This is why you need to talk to my friends over at Innovation Refunds. If your business has five or more employees and managed to survive COVID, you could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to 26 grand per employee. It's not a loan. There's no payback. It is a refund on your taxes. The challenge is getting your hands on it. How do you cut through that red tape and get your business the refund money? Well, you head on over to GetRefunds.com. Their team of tax attorneys are highly trained in this little-known payroll tax refund program. They have already returned a billion dollars to businesses, and they can help you as well. They do all the work, no charge up front, Simply share a percentage of the cash they get for you, so you really have nothing to lose here. Businesses of all types can qualify, including those who took PPP, nonprofits, even those that had increases in sales. The team at Get Refunds has already returned over $1 billion to businesses, and they can help you as well. Head on over to GetRefunds.com, click on Qualify Me, answer a few quick questions. The payroll tax refund, it's only available for a limited amount of time. Don't miss out. Head on over to GetRefunds.com. Again, that is GetRefunds.com, GetRefunds.com. It's amazing to me the extent to which we are told that a city like New York City, okay, so New York City has a population, a grand total population in New York City of 8.4 million people. If 1,500 migrants show up from Texas, we are told that this strains the city's resources. 8.4 million people live in New York City. How many people live in Del Rio, Texas? Okay, Del Rio, Texas, I'm sure is taking in, it's like 36,000 people live in Del Rio, Texas. So when they're hit with 1,500 migrants, that's a, that's a good thing, according to the residents of New York City. When 1,500 illegal immigrants arrive in New York City, a city of 8.4 million people, that's a really, really bad thing. The same thing in Chicago. It's a human rights violation, apparently, to send illegal immigrants to Chicago. Chicago has a population of 2.7 million people. But the idea is that if you send a few hundred illegal immigrants up there, well, we can't handle that. I mean, that, that, I mean after all, we are a blue city. I mean, that, we, we, we can't really do that. That would be, that'd be really bad. So here is Lori Lightfoot, the absolutely incompetent mayor of Chicago, a place where there are more shootings every weekend than a typical weekend in Iraq, suggesting that, uh, you know, the real problem here is it's a national problem. It's na- I noticed that now you think it's a national problem. How weird. How weird that when the consequences at home for you, you start to realize that illegal immigration is a national problem for you. Amazing. We need, D.C. needs more assistance. Um, and, and obviously, I know that there's um, work being done um, by the White House Um, and some of the executive agencies to look to other resources, that can't happen fast enough. So we're going to continue to be in conversation with them uh, to let them know what is happening on the ground here. Um, I had a a series of very uh, productive conversations when I was in D.C. on Friday, but we're not going to take our foot off the gas to say that we need a comprehensive plan from the federal government. And again, we all know what the, the reality is. This is a national problem. It needs a national solution. Um, and we, as cities and states, cannot be left uh, to fend to ourselves. We can't be left. We, no, we need, I mean, you know, it'd be a solution, securing the border. But this administration says the border is secure. So it'd be time for you now to talk to the White House about securing that, but you're not going to do that. Instead, you're going to virtue signal and pretend that you've been victimized by Texas. Now, El Paso, Texas, which is one of the big pass-through cities for illegal immigration, because it has a big border patrol station over there. The, the total population of El Paso, Texas, as of 2020, is like 680,000 people. The city of Chicago is 2.7 million people. The Illinois governor declared an emergency over migrants bust from Texas. How many migrants were bust from Texas? According to the Wall Street Journal, 500. 500. So 500 people show up in a city of 2.7 million. And the Illinois governor declares a, national, a state emergency. Meanwhile, 2 million people show up on the southern border 
in places like Texas, Arizona, and New Mexico. And that's hunky-dory. That's totally fine. The administration has got this whole thing under control. According to the Wall Street Journal, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker declared an emergency and called up 75 members of the Illinois National Guard to marshal resources to cope with an influx of asylum seekers bused to Chicago and other cities by Texas Governor Greg Abbott. About 500 migrants have arrived in Chicago since the first busload pulled into a downtown bus station on August 31st. More continue to arrive without any advance notice from Texas. Pritzker said the state of Illinois is doing everything in its power to support local jurisdictions to help ensure that the right tools and supports are in place as we move forward with this humanitarian response. This proclamation will help the Illinois Emergency Management Agency and other state agencies coordinate with the city of Chicago, Cook County, and other local governments to provide services to migrants. Those services include transportation, emergency shelter and housing, food, and medical attention. And of course, Pritzker criticized Abbott. He said it was a stunt playing games with people's lives. No, you know it's a stunt playing games with people's lives, like actual lives? It's, a, it's not playing games with people's lives to send them to a major American city with a huge welfare program. You know what's a major stunt? Leaving the border open. That is a major stunt that you guys have been doing for literally decades. Governor Abbott said, quote, sanctuary city mayors complain they're overwhelmed by a few dozen migrants arriving on buses from Texas. It's a fraction of what Texas faces on a daily basis. We'll continue busing migrants until Biden secures the border. Correct. But by the way, Joe Biden is taking action, hysterically enough. According to Reuters, as border crossings have soared to record highs, U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is quietly pressing Mexico to accept more migrants from Cuba, Nicaragua, and Venezuela. Under a COVID-19 expulsion order, the White House has publicly sought to end, according to seven U.S. and three Mexican officials. Right, so they won't just say, we're going to close the border. Instead, they're still using Title 42 COVID emergency, which they said they were going to end and which they said is no longer applicable. They are saying that they're going to use Title 42 to pressure Mexico to take all of these migrants now. So they're not going to say the quiet part out loud, which is illegal immigration is a problem for the United States. Instead, they're going to pretend that this is a COVID threat still. And they're going to do it quietly behind closed doors. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken raised concerns about an escalating number of crossings by migrants from the three countries during a visit on Monday to Mexico City. According to two U.S. and two Mexican officials, Mexico did not promise any specific actions. One U.S. official said trying to convince Mexico to agree is an uphill battle. Yeah, no, no bleep. So, again, Democrats owning the consequences of their own actions, is, is, it's the killer app. It's the kryptonite to democratic bad policy, which shifts the burden of their policy positions to literally everyone else. The big problem for Democrats, of course, is that every time they have to own the consequences of their own actions, things get really, really bad. There's one consequence, however, that we all have to meet in life, and that, of course, is death. I know, dark, depressing. But here's the thing. You can prepare for that because you know it's coming with the life insurance you need from Policy Genius. If you're worried about price, Policy Genius makes that easy. They make it easy to compare your options from all the top companies and make sure you're not paying a cent more than you have to for the coverage you need. Policy Genius is an insurance marketplace that makes it easy to compare quotes from top companies like AIG and Prudential in one place to find your lowest price. You could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. Options start at just $17 per month for $500,000 of coverage. Go to policygenius.com slash Shapiro, get personalized quotes in minutes, find the right policy for your needs. The licensed agents at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance companies. They're on hand throughout the entire process to help you understand your options so you can make decisions with confidence. Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews across Google and Trustpilot. And since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $150 billion in coverage. So what exactly are you waiting for? Head on over to policygenius.com slash Shapiro, get your free life insurance quotes, see how much you could save. Speaking of which, this, again, all democratic policy is predicated on the idea that you pay for it, that you are the person who is supposed to pay for all of this. And the, the latest example of this is this U.S. railroad strike, which was just averted as a tentative deal was reached. So Joe Biden has made it a high priority in the United States to boost unions. Why is he boosting unions? He's boosting unions because unions support him. Because democratic policy is, is the single most corrupt area of American political life is not 
money from corporations in politics. That's not great. It's not individuals spending a lot of money on politics. Okay, all of those are, are free speech issues. Unions can do it too. The biggest problem in American public life is not people who are pressing for the interests of their particular group in politics. That is the norm. The biggest issue in American public life is unions that sign actual contracts with the government of the United States paying for the people who they are negotiating with to get elected. That's just the most corrupt bargain in American public life. We're supposed to pretend that this is all normal. It is not normal that the unions spend every election cycle, billions, they be billions of dollars to get Democrats elected. And then they negotiate with those same people for really, really wonderful and rich contracts. And you know who pays the bill for that? The actual taxpayers. The taxpayers, the consumers. Those are the ones who pay the bill, just like everything else. Democratic policymaking is a question of shifting the burden to somebody else, always, always. Your political allies get all the benefits and your political enemies are the ones who receive all of the costs. You stick everybody else with the bill. And this is a perfect example of this. So Joe Biden has driven approval of labor unions to the highest point since 1965, according to Gallup. Americans' approval of labor unions, which was all the way down at like 48% in 2009, has been steadily increasing to the point where it's now at almost 68%. That is the highest point that it has been in 50 years, basically. That is the current highest reading that they've ever seen. That is because, again, Democrats approve of labor unions because labor unions basically are a Democratic Party tool. Approval has increased among nearly major all demographic subgroups since 2016. One exception is labor union members. Their approval has been no lower than 75% since 2001. Currently, 86% of union members approve of unions, down from the recent high of 93% in 2019. Approval is relatively high among young adults aged 18 to 34, most of whom are not members of unions, by the way, and don't actually have to abide by union strictures, and those with annual household incomes under $40,000. Democrats approve of unions by an extraordinary scale. Right? 90% of Democrats approve of unions. That is really where the uptick has happened because Democrats have put heavy focus on the people who basically pay for their politicians to get elected. That, that The approval rating among Democrats, you would imagine. I mean, it's, it's basically like going to the Republican Party and, and saying to Republican voters, do you approve of billionaires spending money on behalf of your political interest? That's basically what the labor unions do. And what does this result in? It results in, prior to an election, unions can hold up the Democrats at gunpoint and the Democrats will just give away the store. That's exactly what just happened with the railroads. So are these railroad unions and these railroad unions have been demanding things from places like Amtrak. Right? There's a lot of government involvement in the negotiation of these contracts. These are sort of public-private partnerships a little bit. Okay? And the because the Railroad Workers Union works with the railroads, some of the railroads are sort of quasi-public institutions. Joe Biden has been making overtures to the unions for quite a while. He's basically been saying to them, hold us up, right? Do it. Tell us what you want. We'll give it to you. This is, he's done it on everything from the teachers, where he's got Randy Weingarten, one of the most nefarious figure, figures in, in American public life, uh, a person who essentially kept children out of school for two years because she's such a, because she cuts directly against the interests of school children. She basically runs education policy at the, at, the, at the Biden administration. You have labor unions that are running the ports that have contributed heavily to the supply chain crisis. And now, directly prior to the midterm elections, this was no coincidence, the railroad unions decided they were basically going to hold up the store. And the amount of damage that was likely to have been done if this railroad strike had happened would have been egregious, which meant that they had Joe Biden over a barrel. And Joe Biden was then going to hold all of the railroads over a barrel, all of the railroad owners and private public partnerships and all the rest of this. How bad was it going to be? Well, the strike, according to the New York Times, would have exacerbated the congestion that has plagued American ports. It would have brought fresh pressure to bear on trucking companies, the most obvious alternatives for moving freight. As they complain, they still can't find enough drivers. It would have stymied the movement of goods just as politicians and markets wrestle with soaring prices for consumer products. 
Rail moves roughly two-fifths of long-distance American freight and one-third of exports, making the stakes enormous. Also, rail is a central component of a, glo- of a complex global supply chain that depends on the coordinated movements of cargo ships, trains, and trucks. So what exactly was, was going to happen here? Well, what was going to happen here is more economic disaster. And Joe Biden couldn't have that before a midterm election, so he gave away the store. How much did the Biden administration give away the store in this, in this deal that, that was just cut with the railroad unions? It's so bad, they won't even release the details of the deal. That's how bad the deal is. You know the government cut a bad deal and like, it's secret. It's a secret deal. When's the last time the government cut a secret deal? And it was amazing for the American people. It just worked out unbelievably well. The answer is never, obviously. According to the Wall Street Journal, the White House said Thursday it had reached a tentative agreement to avoid a potential railway strike that threatened to shut down a crucial vein of the U.S. economy. Again, this is beautiful democratic policy at its height. Incentivize the unions to hold you up, give them whatever they want, and guess who gets to pay the price for this? Taxpayers and consumers. Wonderful. Everybody else pays the price, just not Joe Biden. Joe Biden said the tentative deal is an important win for our economy and the American people. He credited the unions and rail companies for negotiating in good faith and reaching a tentative agreement that will keep our critical rail system working and avoiding disruption of our economy. The Biden administration had been holding talks with representatives from both sides to avoid transport disruptions that could have snarled supply chains, putting new pressure on prices when inflation has been hovering near four-decade highs. Ahead of the Friday deadline, passenger rail provider Amtrak said it would suspend all long-distance train services starting on Thursday. While the negotiations don't actually involve Amtrak workers, the company's long-distance trains operate on freight lines, is what I was saying. There's sort of a public aspect of this. Amtrak said Thursday it was restoring long-distance train services. The company was contacting customers to accommodate them on the first available departures. Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, who had been meeting with the representatives and who is basically just an emissary of the unions, applauded the agreement on Twitter, quote, moments ago, following more than 20 consecutive hours of negotiations at the Department of Labor, the rail companies and union negotiators came to a tentative agreement that balances the needs of workers, businesses, and the nation's economy. The White House didn't specify the details of the tentative deal. But you know who did spill some of the details? The Association of American Railroads, which represents the nation's freight railroads. They said three unions representing about 60,000 workers had reached a tentative agreement. Okay, so what exactly is in this agreement? that the Biden administration just forced through, which is going to increase your costs. Okay, there's just no question about this. How sweet is this deal for the unions? The new contracts provide rail employees with a 24% wage increase during the five-year period 2020 through 2024. I have a question. Uh, it is now, as, as you noticed, uh, 2022. So that means that they are going to be they're going to be making up, I assume, whatever ground was not made up during 2020 to 2022. And they're just backdating it to pretend that there is a wage increase that they can include in that 24%. All right, fine. How many of you over the next couple of years expect a one quarter pay increase? Is that something that's baked into your contract where you work? Seems kind of a sweet deal, does it not? This also, by the way, includes an immediate payout on average to all the employees of $11,000 upon ratification. So you get a 20, sounds pretty sweet, right? I mean, what if you at your job right now, you got a 25% pay increase over the next two years, because remember, it is 2022. Plus, you also got an $11,000 signing bonus. Sounds pretty amazing, right? Sounds pretty great. Why, almost as though the Biden administration basically went to all of these railroad companies and said, you better, your brains or your name is going to be on this piece of paper. Because we cannot afford to go into a midterm election with snarled supply lines and Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg trying to go back on paternity leave. The association did not mention whether changes to attendance policies were made as part of the deal. The AAR said the terms were reached following the recommendations of the Presidential Emergency Board Number 250, which was established by the White House to investigate the dispute. Ah, there it is. So the White House basically put together a blue ribbon commission, and then they crammed down the deal. Earlier, one of the unions representing U.S. railroad workers said its members had rejected a tentative agreement its leaders had reached. 
The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, or IAM, had said its 4,900 members had voted to reject an agreement reached with the biggest U.S. freight railroads as part of broader negotiations. A central dispute was over attendance policies and unscheduled days off if workers or their family members got sick. Two other labor unions had also raised the issue and were seeking to include changes to attendance policies in the talks. So now these, uh, these, these agreements are going to go back to the unions for a vote. Under the deal, the parties agreed to a post-ratification cooling-off period expected to last several weeks. If the talks had broken down and led to a strike, Congress could have intervened to delay or stop any strike. But White House officials were reluctant to call on Congress to step in to extend the deadline for negotiations or force a resolution to the dispute. Of course, of course, they didn't want Democrats in Congress to have to go back to their union crony district and tell the unions that we stopped you from destroying the supply chains in the middle of, a, of an emerging recession. Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, the House Speaker, she said Congress stood ready to take action saying that it had the authority to ensure the uninterrupted operation of essential transportation services. She said the House had prepared and reviewed legislation. We would have been ready to act. But thankfully, this action may not be necessary. Oh, well, um, yeah, that's uh, amazing. Amazing. I, I can't believe that you guys signed a sweetheart deal with the unions. Just incredible. Somebody else will foot the bill. You will foot the bill because those increased costs are going to be passed on to you, the consumer, to you, the taxpayer. Once again, Democratic policy is predicated on the idea that everyone except for them should pay the bill. Right? They get to reap the political benefits of having unions continue to pay for all of their, their politicking. They get to reap the political benefits of saying that they solved the problem, but instead they didn't really solve the problem. They just had somebody else pay for the problem, which is a pretty wonderful way of doing things. And it turns out the basis of their entire economic policy, which is why inflation is going to continue to spike. There are a few unexpected surprises on the way with regard to inflation. We'll get to that in just one moment. Well, folks, this week, Obama economist Larry Summers said we have a serious problem with inflation. But Joe Biden refuses to see it that way. He says the economy is fast and strong. It must be fun to be Joe Biden, where everything is just hunky-dory, and every day somebody wakes you up and reminds you you're president of the United States. Well, we thought we'd give the old fellow the benefit of the doubt. We applied his fiscal policies to our daily wear merch sale to see if it gave you a better deal. After crunching the numbers, we quickly realized no one wants to pay 8.3% more or anything. So instead, we're going with our gut. We are cutting prices by 40%. That's correct. You can now get my legendary Facts Don't Care About Your Feelings button for only 15 bucks or a classic Old Glory baseball bat signed by moi for $150. Get 40% off Daily Wire merch during our inflation reduction event. While supplies last, just go to dailywire.com slash shop. Be quick. It ends Sunday. Alrighty. So meanwhile, the inflationary spiral that this administration has brought about uh, it's about to get worse in a bunch of ways. One area where it's about to get worse is that Social Security is about to push forward a massive cost of living adjustment that spikes all of those checks. So remember, Social Security has a, a COLA, a cost of living adjustment baked into the cake, right? As the cost of living increases, Social Security checks are supposed to rise. Well, they, they haven't really been rising to keep pace with inflation because no one can, nothing can rise that fast. I mean, they're rockets that don't move as fast vertically as the inflation rate is currently moving right now. In a letter sent on Tuesday, according to The Hill, Senior Citizens League policy analyst Mary Johnson said recipients could see an 8% COLA spike next year. That is a huge increase reflective of high inflation people are experiencing across the country. It's actually a smaller COLA than the Senior Citizens League projected just a month ago. At that time, Johnson was forecasting an almost 10% hike. Okay, so if you're talking about an inflated economy, you know how many people are on Social Security in the United States? The number of people on Social Security in the United States, I mean, we're talking tens of millions of people. 69.1 million people receive benefits from programs administered by Social Security. Okay, almost 70 million, probably now in excess of 70 million because those are 2019 stats. In excess of 70 million Americans receive some sort of benefit from Social Security. A lot of those benefits are cost of living adjusted. So as those checks go out, 
And those checks are now larger in number to reflect the inflation. They're going to boost the inflation because you're now injecting more liquidity into the system. You're injecting more money into the system, which is going to put prices, put pressure on prices upward. It turns out that once you start baking inflation into the cake, it, the cake just keeps rising and there is no way to prick that cake and make, the, and make it go down. You can't reduce the inflation except through extraordinarily harsh measures from the Federal Reserve, which is what is expected to come next. So you're going to go from very high inflation to a significant economic downturn. I mean, the fact is, by the end of the year, the Federal Reserve is now talking about, about interest rates at something like 4.5% minimum. Okay, just by way of contrast, the current Fed funds rate is approximately 2.3%, 2.33%. The current target rate is like 2.5%. Okay, so you're, you're talking about more than, essentially doubling the Fed funds rate. That is what we are talking about right now. You think that's not going to have any impact on, on economic growth or job growth or any of the rest? Because again, when you make other people pay the bills, eventually the bill comes due. And well, a even ABC News has been forced to report that the inflation stats are real bad for Democrats. So here's ABC News reporting that families are spending 460 bucks more every month than they were spending just a couple of years ago. Inflation isn't going anywhere, and the average American family, according to Moody's, is now spending $460 more every single month in order to deal with these price increases. And you're seeing it in inescapable areas like grocery prices, up 13.5%. Shelter costs, those include rent prices, up 6.2% from a year ago. And medical care services, up 5.6% from a year ago. Wages aren't keeping up. The Federal Reserve is doing everything in its power to aggressively fight inflation. But what this really underscores is how hard that is to do when it's deeply embedded in the economy. That is correct. But the good news is you have Ron Klain tweeting his way through it. So Ron Klain, who only appears on MSNBC and CNN, you know, his friendlies, the White House chief of staff, he says, you know, inflation's going well, guys. It's, it's doing great. It's fantastic. And you got to love the Chiron here from MSNBC. Biden celebrates Inflation Reduction Act, adding to list of legislative wins. You forgot the part where inflation's at 8.3%, and we have the worst inflationary spiral in two generations here in the United States. What is your projection on when they will see an effect in inflation? Inflation is coming down. Today's inflation report was lower than last month's, which was lower than the months before. Uh, we still have some work to do, Lawrence, to continue to bring down prices. As you mentioned, gas prices are down $1.30 a gallon over mm. the course of the summer, 91 days in a row. They continue to, to drop. So we're starting to make progress on inflation. It's still too high. It's unacceptably high. We need to continue to drive uh, uh, prices down. We're getting there uh, with uh, gasoline prices, little progress on food, a lot more work to do. A lot more, guys, but it's going to be good. We're doing an amazing job. They're not doing an amazing job. It's not happening. There is no amazing job being done. Meanwhile, you've got people like Chris Coons, the Democratic senator from Delaware, who, again, is celebrating. Love all the Chirons on MSNBC, which are basically just written directly by the agiprop, the agiprop team over at the White House. President Biden holds White House events to celebrate passage and signing of the Inflation Reduction Act. Here is Chris Coons doing the same thing. The Inflation Reduction Act is going to reduce prescription drug prices, health care prices, energy prices. Uh, there's a $300 billion down payment on reducing uh, the deficit this year. Uh, and there's those significant additional measures to reduce the costs that most households feel, uh, whether at the pharmacy uh, or at the pump uh, or in paying their monthly heating bills. I think as Americans go to the polls uh, in November, they'll see these two sharp contrasts, uh, President Biden and the 
Democrats passing a fully paid-for bill that tackles the daily prices that matter to them, that tackles the climate crisis, that makes our country more competitive and more secure. Do you feel more competitive and more secure because we're going to spend a trillion dollars on green boondoggles? Do you, do you feel really good about that? And I love MSN. Again, the MSNBC Chirons here are amazing. So you have Chris Coons out there talking about inflation. The Chiron is about Lindsey Graham proposing a 15-week abortion ban. Can you guys, like, run away from your own crappy policies any faster here? I don't think it's possible. Meanwhile, Joe Biden was on the campaign trail, which is to say that he was stumbling around. Uh, he, he went to a, um, a car factory, I believe he's at Ford, and he was, um, he was driving a $61,000, it was a Cadillac, actually. He was driving a $61,000 electric Cadillac, which is what you need, right? I mean, in order to fight those high gas prices and inflation, if you could actually spend, like, 60 grand on a car right now, Joe Biden is up for it. And, uh, and he was walking around attempting to speak words from his face hole. It didn't go amazingly. I ran for office to build a better America, not just to get us back to how things were before the pandemic. So we launched a once-in-a-generation effort to invest in America. We're working to deliver an economy that finally works for working families. We started with the American Rescue Plan. It's taken us from economic crisis to economic resurgence. Jobs are up, incomes are up, people are back to work. Okay, jobs are up because they shouldn't have been out of work in the first place. That was COVID. And then incomes are down. Vis-a-vis -vis inflation, wages are down. So, yeah, that's, that's not true. And then it, it wouldn't be a Joe Biden speech without some creepy whispering. And he's going to treat that microphone like it's a 14-year-old girl with, uh, who, who just used some herbal essences. You used to always hear from my uh, friends on the other team. Yeah, they spend a lot of money and maybe some of it worthwhile, but they're just increasing the deficit. Guess what? First year in office, we reduced the deficit by $350 billion. And if he just keeps repeating this lie, Guess it's unbelievable. What? This year, this year, we're on track at the end of the fiscal year to reduce the deficit by over $1 trillion. The, the lies here are just astonishing. Reducing the rate of increase in the deficit is not reducing the debt. It does not reduce the debt. And no matter how many times you tell this lie that you are bringing money back into the government to pay off debt. It is not true. The number is only moving one way. And you know what? People can see through this crap. They really can. This is why the Democratic Party is desperately attempting to spin away from its own economic policy. Long article in the Wall Street Journal today talking about how Latino voters are splitting along economic lines. Working class Latino voters are moving toward Republicans. Of course, because the working class are paying for a lot of this. Inflation hits the working class disproportionately. It isn't a bunch of journalists in Washington, D.C. who care about inflation. They can afford to go down to the local grocery store. They can go to the bodega in New York City and they can pick up their milk. It's the people in the working class who are paying for all of this bad economic policy. And those people are disproportionately minority. This is why the Wall Street Journal is reporting that Latinos are moving sizably toward the Republican Party. Latino voters are among the fastest growing groups in the electorate, accounting for some 16 million voters in 2020, more than 10% of the voter pool. Once a solidly Democratic bloc, Latino voters are emerging as a swing group available to both parties with its voting preferences splitting along economic and class lines. In 2020, Latino voters who backed one of the two major candidates gave Joe Biden 63% of their vote, but that was eight percentage points lower than Joe Biden's party had won four years earlier. The movement away from Biden's party was even larger, some 11 points among Latinos who are working class, commonly defined as anyone without a four-year college degree. And those are the people who are paying the bill for all of this. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing now. You don't want to miss it. We'll be getting into Nancy Pelosi, who's cracking wise about abortion. Plus, the Supreme Court apparently going after an Orthodox Jewish school for the great crime of not forwarding the LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign happy face emoji agenda. You don't want to miss it. If you're not a member, click the link in the description and join us.